Welcome to 10-Minute Law, a bonus podcast where we break down the laws and policies that entangle the people in our multimedia series, Temporary. In episode two of the Temporary podcast, we met Zaki, who came to Australia by boat as a teenager. Sarah Dale is the principal solicitor and center director at RACS, the Refugee Advice and Casework Service. She joined RACS in 2013 as its first child specialist lawyer, successfully representing hundreds of unaccompanied minors like Zaki. So when I came to RACS as a pretty junior solicitor, I was allocated three cases that happened to be unaccompanied children. And these were three boys that lived in the same house. Two of them were from one country and one of them was from another country. But these three boys were like brothers. One of those boys that said, you know, there are these other two boys at our house so in community detention at the time, and they don't have a lawyer, would you be able to meet with them? I said, sure, bring them in. So three unaccompanied kids became five. I had three, which grew to five, who also wanted to bring along their classmates, which grew to 10. With the caseworkers understanding that, oh, there's this girl at Racks that is gonna help the unaccompanied children, which grew to 80, which grew to 120, which meant we ultimately grew to about 140 unaccompanied boys in New South Wales that we were assisting. And the thing about these young people, many Hazara boys from Afghanistan, is that they were full of good ideas. And he was like, you know what? You work with Hazaras in Sydney. Why can't you work with Hazaras on Christmas Island? And I was like, well, that's a good point, but I don't know who they are and what do they need? And we discovered that there was this group of unaccompanied children who were on Christmas Island facing removal or deportation to Nauru. And we started working with those young boys. You say young. Sarah, why was their age important? Why did unaccompanied minors, children, need special attention. What happens largely with unaccompanied children is once you turn 18, you're pretty much on your own and most of your services end. So your caseworker ends, everything changes, your house changes, your visa changes. We didn't change and they still had the same lawyer and the same phone numbers and the same place to go despite turning 18. And so I would like to think that that stability would have made a difference. These young people were entering a refugee process where laws were changing quickly. One change in 2012 introduced a bar which blocked members of the legacy caseload from applying for refugee protection. They could only apply once the Minister for Home Affairs decided to lift the bar. So Sarah, when that finally happens, the bar lifts and they can make their application, what does that actually involve? It's about a 40-page form that you can either do by paper form or online with questions ranging from who's your mother, who's your father, to list every address you've ever lived at, every border you've ever crossed. And when you have to give an answer to the day, those forms are incredibly troubling and can be incredibly stressful to fill in. It's not really possible for a person that's undocumented. Yeah, and the pressure can be just enormous. For these kids, none of these are easy questions. Even what's your birthday can be quite tricky. 
Uh, we work on a Western calendar and not all countries work on a Western calendar and different countries don't celebrate birthdays in the way a Western culture celebrates birthdays. And that's largely because it's a difference in culture, a difference in language and calendars don't directly translate over. It's not as simple as 1894 is 2014. You have to know the date and the month, sometimes the season, in order to get that translation correct, uh, which makes it very difficult when, in a Western context, dates are used as a way of testing a person's credibility. And so to get those dates wrong or to misunderstand January and February can be quite a serious problem in a person's case, particularly when it comes to birthdays. It forms part of the identity assessment. The department rely on it to determine who you are and what services you might be eligible for based on your age. Particularly for unaccompanied children, there's this sense that people come to Australia and lie and say that they're younger than they are because they're going to get all of these benefits. Indeed, it's my experience that a lot of the young people are more inclined to lie and say that they're older because to be older means you're stronger and you're able to better protect yourself but also it means you might be able to work. And a lot of them are looking to make sure they find a way to support themselves so that they can potentially support their families because they're left to escape a horrific situation by themselves and feel guilty about the fact that their families have remained in those horrific circumstances that they have left. And all they wanna do is find a way to get the safety that they have found. So you're wading through the issues of calendars, dates, documentation, cultural differences. Remind us what it's actually for. It's not the same permanent visa that Australia would grant to a refugee being resettled from overseas. People in the legacy caseload can apply only for temporary protection. So what are they going for here? They are given the choice whether they wish to apply for a TPV, a three-year visa, or a CHEV, a Safe Haven Enterprise visa, which is five years. If you want a five-year visa, you have to sign an additional section, which is an intention to consider working or studying in a regional area. Okay, they can apply for one of these two short-term refugee visas. Step us through the whole process they're starting here. So first step is making the application. Following that, the department will send you what we call an acknowledgement letter. So a letter that says we've received your application, we're going to look at it and we'll let you know if we have any other questions. The department might then write to you and ask for another identity document or clarification on something that you'd put in your statement. And then maybe months will pass, maybe years will pass and you will be invited for an interview. And that interview can last from anywhere from 20 minutes to six hours, depending on you, your situation and the case officer. That interview is an opportunity for the department to ask you questions about your claims, but it's also technically your last opportunity to give evidence as to what your situation is and why you need protection. Following that interview, if you're legally represented, you would ask for some time to make a written submission. Once those submissions are in, you might get written to again, requesting more information. 
If the department finds that you are or you should be owed protection, then your case is referred for character security health checks. Subject to that all going to plan, then hopefully you're granted a visa. Okay. And for people in the legacy caseload, this process can take years. It has taken years. And during that time, the policies kept changing. We constantly shift the goalposts and we constantly change what they're eligible for. And we do so retrospectively. As a lawyer, it just feels incomprehensible that that would happen. And indeed, I would argue happens in no other area of law. I mean, if we were to go today and say, right, anyone who has been charged with driving 40 kilometers over the speed limit, we've now decided we're going to give you 10 demerit points, even though five years ago you only got five. We've changed the law and anyone who's been speeding over that time in the past five years, this is what's going to happen to you. There would be utter chaos, but we have sat idly by while we do that to people seeking asylum. So there's this flurry of laws that come in, changing the game over and over again for these people who all arrived by boat between 2012 and 2014. Tell us about the human consequences. I mean, we've heard this over and over again of people that arrived on the same boat and, you know, one is in Manus, one is in Nauru, and one's here in the community. The person here in the community has a chev, they're relatively protected. The man on Manus is stuck there. He's been moved to Port Moresby. We don't know what's going to happen to him. The other man was on Nauru. He's now been resettled in the U.S. And if you were to have those three men all come together, their circumstances were all largely the same. It just so happened that some officer somewhere ticked his box and not his. And it just highlights how we are operating in a process of luck, which again, as a lawyer, is something I cannot fathom because fairness, equality, and justice is not founded in luck. Yeah, and as a lawyer, you've gone through this whole process with those three, became five, became 150 unaccompanied children that gathered in racks back when this all began. Now, many of them who were in Australia were found to be refugees, and they're now on TPVs and chefs. They're some of the people in temporary. And then others... We're on Nauru. Tell us how that's been for you and them. Yeah, the young boys that were transferred to Nauru that are now adults. Thankfully, most of them are now in the US, um, but there are still a few there that we're going to continue to assist until they get off. And I guess that's really indicative of how it works at RACS. I mean, I can't imagine my life without them because they're the strongest, most resilient people I've ever come across. I don't think that the work that I did for them will ever be as much as they've given to me. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks for giving us your time. That's Sarah Dale, the Principal Solicitor and Centre Director at RACS, the Refugee Advice and Casework Service in Sydney. I'm Lauren Martin, and this is 10 Minute Law. Our podcast is edited by Eleanor Buckley with audio support from Syra Arias. It's part of a Caldor Center multimedia project about the legacy caseload called Temporary. You can find out more at caldorcenter.unsw.edu.au.